Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful week. Thank you, Lord, for your watch care over us. Thank you for this time that we have to come and study your word. I pray that you'd please bless us now, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us understanding, that you would speak to our hearts and lives and lead us, O Lord, through your word and with your spirit as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our study for this evening is entitled The Unjust Judge. And once again, we have a bit of a background, not too much, but a little bit of a background before we jump into the parable itself. And what is Jesus trying to teach the people here in this parable? Let's go to our first text, Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus is trying to teach about prayer. But what about prayer in particular? That we should always pray and not faint or get weary in praying. And so why is this parable relevant for us and important for us to study today? Well, in the previous chapter, Jesus was teaching about something very important to us that at the at, at, I wouldn't say the conclusion of his teaching, but right after that, he jumped straight into this parable. So let's just go to a few verses in the previous chapter of Luke chapter 17. What is Jesus saying here? Here's a lengthy passage in verses 26 to 30 of Luke 17. This is what Jesus says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." You see, in the previous chapter, Jesus was talking about the last days. He spoke about the days of Noah and Lot and how the end times would be similar to theirs. You know, what's interesting that it talks about first the days of Noah, it says that it was just like any other normal day. They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. Nothing unusual was taking place. And the same with Lot's day as well. How did the Bible describe it? It said that they ate and they drank, they bought and they sold, and they planted and they built houses. It was just any other normal day. There was nothing unusual or out of the ordinary about it. But then what happened? The Bible, we know, it says sudden destruction came upon both of the groups in their times. As you know, Lot and Noah did not live in a similar time period. The flood that came in, in Noah's day swept majority of the people away and they were unaware of it. They were not ready for it. They were, many were surprised about it. And so it was even in Lot's day when fire came down out of heaven and destroyed many and they were unprepared. It was just any normal day when the fire came down. 
and what is trying Jesus trying to teach us here? What is he implying? is that if we wish to be ready for the end of times, which we are now living in, I believe with all my heart we're living in, if we want to be able to discern the signs of the times, to be able to be ready for the second coming of Jesus and not be surprised by it, then we need to learn to pray. What about prayer? To always pray and to not faint, which means to not get weary or worn out or get tired of doing something that in some sense can get monotonous. Just every single day, the same thing, the same thing. So with this understanding, let's get into the parable. Let's go back to Luke chapter 18. And now we're reading verses two to five. Jesus says, there was a city in a city, a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And so what we see here is just simply two characters in the parable. Who are they? They are a judge and a widow. And what do we understand about the judge? Let's start there first. What do we know about the judge? Well, first we know that he does not fear God. And that's not because, oh, I'm not scared of God, but he is not a Christian. So this person, he does not fear God. He does not love God. He does not follow God. He is not a Christian. That's the first thing. The second thing that we we understand is not only does he not fear God, but he doesn't really care about man much, which he's not really a good judge. That's the the title of our, our parable this evening, right? The unjust judge. He doesn't care much for God. He doesn't care much for man or any woman. And the Bible said that he did not regard man. So he hears the plea of this widow woman, and yet he does not want to answer. He can't be bothered. Now, why does this widow come to the judge? You see, she wants to be avenged of her adversary. Something has happened and she wants to be vindicated of something that was done wrong to her, that has happened to her, or she wants to, you know, seek after that person who had treated her unjustly so that this person could be punished. However, it doesn't seem like the judge cares at all. He doesn't care to take any action to help this poor widow woman. Now, who does the judge represent? And who does this widow woman represent as well? So let's start with the obvious. Let's start with the widow first, actually. Let's not start with the judge. What does a woman represent in the Bible? Well, that's simple. We know this already. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So this woman represents God's church in the last days. And hopefully she represents all of us who are in the church today. But how about the judge? Who does the judge represent? Well, let's go to a text found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. Romans 3, 26 To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just 
and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The judge represents God. It represents Jesus. We know that Jesus judges. And look, before you jump to any conclusions beyond this, let's stop to think about this. It can be a little confusing. I mean, why would we say that this unjust judge represents God, right? I mean, does really God not care about any of us? Does really God not believe in himself, I guess? You know, it seems like out of character. It doesn't seem like this is who God is, right? Why would we say that this represents God? Well, let's read the rest of the parable first. And we're going to get to that again, right? But how do we know that this judge is God? Well, in Luke 18, 6 through 8, Luke 18, 6 through 8, this is what the Bible says. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So Jesus makes it very clear that there is this parallel between the unjust judge and who God is. It's not that he is that in character, but it's the position in which God is, meaning the woman goes to the judge, we go to God, right? And it's, I would say, a basis of comparison. And so let's get this clear. The judge is an unjust judge. And the only reason why he answers is because he's tired of this woman coming to see him every single day, asking him for the same request every single day. Please, avenge me of my adversary. Avenge me of my adversary. You again, what do you want? I want to be avenged of my adversary. Every single day without fail. I'm telling you, this woman is persistent. And he is getting worn out with seeing her every day at his doorstep, every day at his office, every day without fail, she comes and asks this judge for help. And so just to get her off his back, just so that she stops bothering him, he finally grants her her request. But we know that God is not an unjust judge. We know that he cares so much for us. This we never need to be afraid. This we never need to second guess. Look at what the Bible says in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Not only does God listen to our prayers, but he's the one that came and listened to our prayers. He's the one that came from heaven to earth, not us from earth to heaven, right? We know that He listens. We know that He loves us. We know that He wants the very best for us. We don't have to second guess the character of God. Further on, it says in Isaiah 1.18, He says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants us to reason with Him. He wants us to talk to Him. He's the one that desires our company. And so, yes, even though this woman's coming every day to this unjust judge and seemingly bother him, God is not bothered. In fact, in reality, he's coming to us, right? So if this unjust judge, and this is where that basis of comparison takes place, if this unjudged judge, unjust judge, pardon me, was eventually willing to answer the request of this woman, how much more would God be willing 
to answer our requests, seeing He loves us so much, right? So the comparison is made to give us confidence that God is so much better than this unjust judge, right? The comparison is there because we can see that He does hear our cries. He wants to reason with us. He wants to talk to us. Jesus is trying to instill in each of us, the widow woman, confidence that we can have when we come and pray before God. God has promised that not only will He hear, but He will answer. You see, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, we can have boldness to ask. We don't need to second guess. We don't need to wonder whether God really wants to hear our prayers or whether He's getting tired of our prayers or not. We don't need to be shy to come and present our petitions before God. We don't need to keep wondering if our prayers are heard at all or not because God He loves to hear our prayers. He's much better than this unjust judge. And seeing that this unjust judge eventually answers out of a different reason, God will definitely answer for good reasons, isn't it? God is good. And so, friends, coming back to the parable, what is this woman asking for again? Let's read the text again, shall we, in Luke 18 verse 3. There was a widow in that city, then she came, saying what? Avenge me of mine adversary. There was someone who was attacking her, and she was asking for the judge to avenge her of her adversary. Now friends, who is the adversary in the Bible? Obvious answer probably, but let's go to a text, shall we? Let's go to 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Friends, who is our adversary? It is the devil. And so the church, the Christian, they're asking for vengeance, for avenging against the adversary, the devil, and what he's done to her. She's asking for help to fight against the devil. And I know this is a silly question, but you know, that this begs an answer to, to, to such a question. But do you think that God will answer our cries for help to fight against the devil? What do you think? That's obvious, right? We, we know this is such a clear answer. Of course He will. God, no doubt, will help us when we ask for help against the devil. I mean, that's the reason why He came to earth, to give us the victory, to give us the, the tools with which to fight. He came to give us help. And so we can always go boldly to the throne of grace, to always find help in time of need. And friends, those are the sorts of prayers that we can have where we can have this 100% assurance that God will always answer. This is His promise right here in this parable. But friends, what does it mean to fight against the devil? I mean, to be avenged of our adversary. How can we fight against the devil with God by our side? Has He given us help? He has already. We find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 
Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Friends, God has given us help already. It's called the armor of God. In order to be protected against the devil's attacks, we got to put on the armor of God, which is the Bible. I mean, it even says there, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We know the breastplate of righteousness. It's, it's Christ's righteousness, which He desires to give us. But how do we find Jesus? It's through His Word. It's using the Word of God to give us victory and also sharing the Word of God to others to save them also from the shackles of the devil. It's Jesus in His Word. I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, the Bible tells us, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, how do we know about Jesus? It is through His Word. And so God has already given us that victory in Christ. We can have that victory. And Jesus came and already lived and died and resurrected up to heaven. We can have assurance 100% that God always hears. Hears our cry for help against sin. He might not always hear our cry for help to to protect us against a car accident because there are Christians that die in car accidents. And yes, it's not because God doesn't care or God doesn't love, but He's got a greater good and a greater purpose. But He will always hear the cry for help against the devil and against sin. He might not always hear help, uh, hear the cry for help to, to help in the exam because maybe God, you know, He, he, he wants us to, to fail so we can meet a person because we repeat a year. We might need to pers- meet a person who, who comes in in the next year and we can minister to them. God does not always hear the cry to, to help, help me, Lord, to get on this plane, to make this, this, air, air, this flight because He might want us to take the next flight to talk to a person that's on the aeroplane. You see, friends, in terms of human circumstances that are to do with just daily life and moving here and there, sometimes God does not hear because He has a greater purpose to put us in a different position to be a minister to someone else. But to fight against the devil, to have victory over sin, to, to, to be able to overcome the devil, absolutely, God always hears and answers that prayer at the very time it's asked for because God knows it's urgent for each of us. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible tells us, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you remember the armor, the, the shield? It was called the shield of faith. Faith is the victory. And we can have that faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And so friends, God has given us the tools in a sense, but at the very end, we've got to pray. Pray with all faith and perseverance to God. You see, friends, according to the parable, in order for God to avenge this woman, 
his people. What condition must be met? It was found in the life of the woman. Luke 18 and verse 5. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. You see, this woman was constantly going to the judge every day. She never ceased to come to the judge. She never missed a day to ask her request. She was desperate. She was shameless. She really, really wanted to be avenged. And if we are to overcome the devil and all that he throws at us, we must learn to go to God every day. It's just that we don't take our spiritual life so seriously. Some people take their exercise more seriously than their prayer life. Others take their food and their studies and their careers or whatever it is and their relationships more serious than victory over the devil and sin. But friends, this woman, she demonstrates the importance of everyday asking, of everyday coming to God. And in Luke chapter 18 and verse 7, we're told, Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry what? Day and night. There's the condition, friends. Day and night that they cry unto Him. Day and night, every day, nonstop, though He bear long with them. Friends, that's the condition to many of our prayers being answered. And yes, even with it when it comes to the devil, because many of us, we really don't care much to have victory. Think about this. When is the last time you've prayed day and night for a sin that you've been struggling with? Some of us, we don't struggle with it too much. We don't think about it too much. We don't care about it too much. But even in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we got to pray without ceasing. Friends, there must be persistence in prayer, a prayer that never wearies until we know that God grants us our request, until we know that He gives us the victory. We must learn to cry unto God day and night. Many times we give up too easily, but does God want to give us victory over the devil? Of course He does. That's the reason why He came, 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus did not come to give you a bigger mansion on earth, to give you more money in your bank account, to give you a more comfortable life on this earth, to help you pass every single exam, to give you straight A's when you pray and fast. No, friends, God did not come for that reason. He came so that He might destroy the works of the devil that He puts into our heart and life and makes us want to do all these evil and wicked things. Jesus came to destroy the devil. He did not come to give us a, a, a better life on this earth. He came to give us hope for the future immortal life up there in heaven. Does He want to give us victory? Does He want us to have victory? Absolutely. That's the whole reason why Jesus came to this earth, to overcome the devil and to finally avenge us. And so when we pray and God does not answer straight away, 
let's persist until he gives us the victory. For surely it is God's will that he wants us to have victory over the devil. I tell you, the Bible says, he will avenge us speedily. And then we come to the conclusion of this parable. You see, in Luke 18 and verse 8, Jesus asks us this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find what? Faith. You see, how, you know, what, what, what does praying persistently and not giving up until our prayers are answered have anything to do with our faith? Where, where did faith come in all of a sudden? We've not been talking about faith, it seems, right? But you see, friends, it takes faith to keep praying, even though you know it's right and yet the prayer has been delayed or it hasn't been answered immediately. God has promised it in His Word, and even though it seems to have been delayed, it takes faith to keep pressing through and pushing through and being persistent, praying day and night. You see, I want to give you this understanding of persistent prayer. In the days of Elijah, God stopped the rain for three and a half years. And it was because of the wickedness of the people that he did this. But he came to Elijah finally one day and he said this, 1 Kings 18, 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. He told Elijah that it's about time to, to send rain now. Go show yourself to Ahab. And so Elijah goes, he obeys, and he has this big showdown between Ahab and his false prophets on Mount Carmel, right? Between the priests of Baal and one true prophet. And you can read the whole thing in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're not going to go through that story there. But, you know, ultimately, we know that Elijah would have victory. Fire comes down from heaven. The false prophets are killed, right? It, it seems like God's name is vindicated. God's name is avenged. However, Rain hasn't come yet. And so what does Elijah do? Let's keep reading in verses 41 and 42 of 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And you know, at this time the skies were clear. And I'll show you how I know this in a minute. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down between the earth and put his face between his knees. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying. And so what happens as he begins to pray, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 43, And he said to his servant, Go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. So after the first time of Elijah praying, there was no rain. But wait, wasn't God the one that told Elijah himself, I'm going to send rain? Why didn't it rain after he prayed the first time? He prayed one time and fire came down from heaven, right? Didn't make sense. I mean, fire came down from heaven is pretty miraculous. Rain seems more natural and normal, right? But after the first time, it didn't happen. So, what happened next? Verse 43 to 44, let's finish 43. And he said, go again. How many times? Seven times. 
And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. This is how I know that the skies were clear, because at the seventh time a cloud arose. Now, if there were clouds already, that cloud would not have been noticeable, but the skies must have been clear for this cloud to stand out, right? And so Ahab, I mean, Elijah finally knew that God had answered his prayer. After how many times of praying? Seven times. Seven times of praying. And I believe it wasn't just some short little, God, please send the rain. Go, go, check. No, God, please send the rain. No, I'm sure he must have been pleading. He must have been searching his heart. He must have been looking deep into his life. God, why haven't you sent rain yet? I I prayed once, fire came down. I prayed once, rain hasn't come. And sometimes, you know, we think that there's something special that he had to pray seven times. But, you know, God doesn't want us to pray seven times only. Yeah, seven is a perfect number. You know, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. But you see, Elijah was willing to pray as long as he needed until the rain came. It just so happens that it came at the seventh time he was praying. Was this a trial of faith? Absolutely. When was the last time before that first one prayer and fire came down on Mount Carmel, before that, Have we seen Elijah praying? Absolutely. When? 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 17 and then 20. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman of the mistress of the house fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Elijah was staying with this widow woman who had a son. And he died. And so, She brings him to Elijah, and he cried unto the Lord in verse 20 and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child how many times? Three times, and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. He prayed one time, fire came down from heaven. He prayed three times, and a dead child came back to life. And so you got to think about this, right? Three times only, and this child came back to life. What's more difficult, praying for rain? or praying for a resurrection. I think all of us, 10 times out of 10, would agree that praying for a resurrection is more difficult than praying for rain. Because, you know, rain can be natural. Maybe it just so happened that as you prayed, then the rain came, right? But there's nothing natural about a child that is dead coming back to life, right? So I'm pretty sure 10 times out of 10, we would all agree, it's harder for a person to be resurrected than for rain to come. So you can imagine Elijah praying for rain the first time. Rain didn't come. But the last time I prayed one time, fire came down of heaven. It's okay, I prayed second time, still no. Third time, no. But you see, the last time I prayed three times, someone came back to life. What's happening? Surely God will answer this time, right? Why, God, haven't you answered? And you can imagine his faith 
is being tested. You see, God didn't give an assurance that this child would be resurrected in 1 Kings 17. But in 1 Kings 18, God gave an assurance that I will definitely send rain. But it hasn't come yet. Why still no rain? His faith wavering a little bit, maybe? God promised. Why, God? But Elijah persists. Fourth time. Fifth time. Sixth time. Seventh time. And finally, God answers. Rain comes. You see, friends, God has given us promises in His Word. The Word of God spoke, I mean, God spoke to Elijah directly, but what's that equivalent to in our day and age? It's reading the Bible. And God has given us promises, assurances, that if we meet the conditions, it will be fulfilled. Promises such as what? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and if you do that, I will pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room to receive it. You know, God gives us these sorts of promises that if we give our tithe, if we give our offering, that God would pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to receive all that blessing. The condition met, the promise will come true. But it takes faith for that blessing, to pray for that blessing until God fulfills it. And sometimes it's possible that we give up too easily or we get too weary about praying and we get impatient about its fulfillment. But it takes faith to hold on to God and trust Him and expect Him to answer because faithful is He that has promised that He will fulfill it at the time, in a time that maybe sometimes we least expect. But you see, friends, when that answer doesn't come, What happens? Do you stop praying? It's then our faith and our perseverance is tested as to whether we should continue praying or not. So friends, when Jesus comes for a second time, the question is asked, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find his children praying and persevering in prayer for the promised blessing? What is the greatest promised blessing that He wishes to grant to each and every one of us today? You see, it's found in Luke 11 verse 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? You know, this is a promise. This is a promise, friends, that we can be sure that God will fulfill. How much more? Here's that basis of comparison. An evil, wicked father that's willing to give good gifts to their children. God is much better, much better than a wicked father. He's much better than an unjust judge. Once those conditions are fulfilled, the promise will be given. But we got to pray. How? Non-stop persevering prayer day and night every day we got to chase after God every day we got to do it until he gives it friends God is much better than an unjust judge who was willing to grant the petitions to that widow woman simply because she bothered him every day but God he will hear us and at the right time he will answer it but we got to pray we got 
to pray. Friends, what is it? How is it? What will you do? Will you continue to persist in prayer? Will you, friends? I pray that we would learn to really pray every day, day and night, morning and evening devotion. And if you're not getting used to that time in the evening, then at least finish the day with a prayer. We got to start somewhere, right? We got to learn to pray persistently, non-stop, unwearingly, knowing and having faith that God will answer our prayer at the appointed time. So friends, let's pray. Let's pray today and let's pray every day, morning and evening, that we will not get weary of well-doing. That though the promise may tarry, it will surely come to pass. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you for, for comforting us with this understanding that you will give us the Holy Spirit at the appointed time. You are much better than any earthly father. Lord, please help us. Help us that we might be like Jesus, that we might be like Elijah, that we might learn to persist in prayer and never give up. Lord, please guide us, lead us, fill us with your Spirit, give us faith to push through and to never lose hope, and that we might persevere until the very end, Lord, until this promise is fulfilled. Help us never to get tired of praying to Thee. Thank You, O Lord. Strengthen us for every good work, but strengthen us especially for this good work of learning to pray every day, every moment, to pray without ceasing. Lord, guide us to that end and lead us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.